This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read Once Bitten by Lindsay Hall, and I read Dispocalypse by M.A. Rothman. Welcome to Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here again with a couple ebooks. My second time doing this intro, and I'm still doing a bad job, but I'm committed. Okay, I'm proud of you. Thank really you. good follow through. Thank you. We are still on ebooks since the uh, Iowa City Library is still closed for good reason. Uh, and it is much harder to. Uh, go around the shelves in a closed library. So mm-hmm. we can't judge books by cover quite as easily. Although I did find one heck of a book for next uh, episode, which we'll discuss here at the end. The only option that we currently have at our library, and I'm very thrilled that this exists, but they do have an option where you can choose your books electronically, place a hold for them, and then go to the library and pick up a physical copy if you'd rather do that than an ebook. The hard part with doing that for Bibliovile, though, is that I don't want anyone else to know (laughs) that I'm checking these books out because I don't want to have to face the librarian that comes and hands me that paper bag full of terrible, terrible books. Never be scared. Librarians, I think, are on the top 10 of uh, title case, seen some shit professions. Maybe not so much now that the libraries are closed in a physical space, but... But honestly, when it comes to books, we also have title case seen some shit, including potentially these ones. Yes, these these books, once bitten by Lindsay Hall and Dispocalypse, uh, were something fierce. I'm set to go for it first this time, right? I believe you are. So, once bitten by Lindsay Hall. Uh, Real quick, I notice you don't have a ton of notes on this. Yeah, this is where my notes actually stopped. It was <laughs> less than uh, halfway down a, a regulation legal pad. Um, and it, it probably, my notes ended about a third of the way through the book. I stopped taking notes, which points us in our, our uh, specific thing. This is what I'm beginning to think of as Teflon writing, where there's just nothing to grab onto. It's nonstick. Yeah. It just slides... Does that right also past. mean that it's very unmemorable, like nothing sticks in your brain? Exactly. Uh, which is bad, because I didn't take a lot of notes. Uh, there is no title screen. It just starts, which is really Are you weird. sure that the, your Kindle didn't just load you no, to like, that page and you need to scroll back a few upon pages? Upon first click, it, it just went straight to the text. It's also formatted not great. Like, sometimes the uh, perspective changes... Uh, with like the name of the person it's changing to on the bottom without starting a new page or whatever. But so what you get with straight to Kindle books, I suppose. Amazon told me that this was a number one bestseller in humorous fantasy. So I was really worried it would be either A, uh, like a legitimately funny book or B, one of those like aren't I so witty kind of humorous books. Uh, it turns out that it was C, not funny at like <laughs> i i didn't even see a lot of opportunities for it to be trying to be funny sometimes they eat oreos for breakfast <laughs> so, oh no so quirky and random yeah so it just skims over events and descriptions there's no real event like there's nothing to grab onto 
the the book starts with her sitting on a fire escape and then she looks at a raccoon whom she has named Cordelia. It's in London and she sees a raccoon and there's a spot of uh, narration very quickly that's like, yeah, there aren't supposed to be raccoons in England. Like, that's not a place where they live. But anyway. No explanation for why there was one, even yeah. though there isn't really supposed to be. Yeah. So it just is like, well, raccoons aren't native to London, but here's one. Anyway. And so that's just an example. She has named this raccoon Cordelia, which is kind of odd because the world and the character inside this world of rude tales of magic is named Cordelia. So that's what I thought. But the, uh, what do you call it? Raccoon, I almost call it. Trash bear. Uh, The (laughs) raccoon only comes up every 15% or so, every so often as like a flash and an event. And then we find out it's her familiar. It's the whole thing. Uh, you've, I think we're on a string of you having books where characters have familiars because your last one had one too. The sexy fox or whatever. Oh yes. That was a more complicated familiar than this one's just a raccoon that is telepathic. But anyway, if you wanted a a greater example of how this book is, is Teflon and just skims past things. I think he's going to want to go in and out. Uh, if you want another example of how this book just skims past things, she's complaining about being poor and being nobody likes her and stuff like that because she flunked out of the police academy because she wouldn't follow their rules. Uh, Why would you want to go to the police academy if you're not a rule follower? I don't know. Anyway, quote, who needed human friends when they had a box of wine and a feral raccoon anyway? I had a real friend once, Beatrix. She was gone, though. Murdered last year, and the pain still tore at me. I tried to find the killer, but the leads had run cold months ago, which left me here, alone with Cordelia. That's like, it's not otherworld where, like, the action moves quickly. Yeah. It's just is moving from one thing to the next. dropping bombshells in the middle of fairly benign sentences. Well, it's like, it. that sounds more exciting than it is. It's just saying things. The other highlight I took... Uh, is similar in in a way uh she gra- she can see she has dead zone powers when she touches stuff she sees a vision so the raccoon throws a rag at her and she catches it and it is not made to be weird and apparently this rag gives her a specific vision why this rag give this vision that i'm about to tell you never explained or even questioned but she catches the rag that the raccoon throws and has a vision of a murder happening this has happened once before with Beatrix. So she runs after where the murder is going to take place. She calls the police anonymously for some reason on her way. She gets there. The guy's already had his face smashed in. And now the police are here and she's standing over the body. And this is the first book in the series. But there's two cops. One who kind of likes her and one who thinks she's committed all the other murder. And now she's a suspect and she's on the run. And so she gets taken. Well, she's not on the run yet. She gets taken to the police station. She gets uh, put in the interrogation room. The good cop guy turns off all of the power in the police station, gives her the key to the handcuffs, and then she escapes. And now there's a London-wide manhunt because he doesn't think she did it. Okay. She is running uh during she grabs the dead man or whatever before she gets taken to the the police and she sees this vision of a tall pale strong man it's uh it's a vampire his name is the devil of something something (laughs) uh and he is the not just like a vampire he is the vlad the impaler 
He's Dracula. Oh, he's he's the famous vampire. Yes. Uh, and so she sees him, and he's got some sort of attraction to her and her to him, and wouldn't you know it. Uh, even though he's a bad boy and dangerous and totally fucked up, but he wasn't a troop. So. Can I <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah. Why are vampires sexy? Well, they were always used as a sort of effeminate sex symbol. Like uh, the worldly man. Yeah. I mean, a net, your neck is an erogenous zone. The Anne I Rice suppose. vampire. I'm just kind of tired of v- vampires being the sexy thing. Like, I feel like someone should make Bigfoot a really unsexy vampire be a character in their next story. Or like Nosferatu. Like, there have been unsexy vampires. This is a trend, but it's, my, it's smart. To my other question is about this book in particular, which is pacing. So you talked about all these things that happen. Is this one of the books where, like, like you mentioned Otherworld, like, bam, 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 all this stuff happens at once? Or is it, like, a bunch of nothing happens, and then a bunch of something happens in a very quick no, period of time? To, it's just... Otherworld is an unfair comparison because it's like, whoa! Like, it's a Michael Bay movie yeah. in a lot of ways. This one is a very simple story that goes nowhere and does nothing but takes a while, but is never slow-moving. In fact, it's too fast. Like, it never takes the time to dwell on anything it's just they're going here, then they're going there, then they're having this conversation and that conversation. Now they're at the mm. party. And so anyway, she manages to take the tube to the underground to a specific magic bar. There's a magic underworld. And wouldn't you know, her aura is going crazy. And she meets a the bartender who is a seer. And her name is Mac, the only character I probably could have told you the name of straight out. Another question for you. What's the name of the main character? <laughs> something like Chrysanthemum or something. Caro. C-A-R-R-O-W. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know this does not come across in a in an audio medium. I think but the pause might have. The look of panic on your face when I asked you that question. I'd like to think of it more as disdain. <laughs> So anyway, Mac the bartender is a woman, uh, broad-shouldered, described like, I imagine, a kind of a swimmer or like a rower mm-hmm. kind of body shape. Uh, she is a seer and is going to be our entry point, our Ron Weasley into the world of magic. Okay. Now, she finds this bar. They take her into like the back room of the bar and touch bricks in a certain way and they go through a portal and now they're in like the hidden magical world based in the, the heart of London, also known as... Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley. It's just clearly Diagon Alley, except instead of being like a shopping center, it's like a whole ass town, yeah. and it's called Guild City, and the Devil of Dark Vale, I remember what it is, or okay. Vlad the Impaler, is sort of this underground crime lord that sort of runs it, even though there's a guild, a council of guilds, of course. A thieves guild? Of course, I don't think there's a thieves guild, oh, but there's like witches and a sorcerers and a whole, fairies and a whole Of thing. course, there's gotta be a council. There's gotta be a council. So the devil of Darkvale runs the town, even though like there's a government, but he actually runs it, and he's just criminal mastermind, and it, it is never described as him doing any sort of crime. He owns a club, which is a front, like, mm-hmm. clearly. Yeah. And he wears suits and has bodyguards that are not vampires, but... Goblins. Oh, good guess. But this is a sexy urban romance, so they have to be... Oh, Incubi. No, good guess again. Werewolves. Shifters. Shifters. Mainly okay. cat Sorry, shifters. there are just so many options now. I did like the appropriate uh, pluralization of Incubus into yeah. Incubus. Smart lady. Um, so my I've run out of notes after we find <laughs> Diagon Alley. 
she wants to find the murderer since she's the main suspect. The the vampire wants to find the murderer because a, a dagger that was stolen. We get some snippets of him, but we never find out what the dagger was, why it's important, why it was stolen, when he had it. What, so he wants to find it out so he can get his dagger back, plus their cursed mates, which <laughs> sounds more like something out of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean than in yeah. London. But there's like faded mates if you're a made vampire like you're you're not a born vampire you're a created vampire okay vampires can be born that does, that's not that real right because vampires are dead uh also the devil of darkfield can go out in the sun hmm. has mind control powers which is a pretty i would say pretty standard vampire thing to yeah have, like, i feel like that, that's not uncommon uh, that's is warm Nope, that doesn't track. Can see in muted colors and taste muted things, because usually vampires aren't supposed to be able to eat or taste. Has not bitten anybody in decades. He drinks his blood out of a cup. Whose blood? Not mentioned. But also, I feel like that is not uncommon, too. Even in other worlds, Manali drank bottled blood. Yes. But I think it was explained that it is animal blood, and I flavored it. Um... So, blah, blah, blah. They go to a witch's party, which was kind of funny because the witches are, like, getting drunk on potions. They're playing beer pong with potions, and every time you they sink a cup, you have to drink a potion that turns you into something. Except either this party, this person has not been to a party yet or has not been to a party for a very long time because it is described as beer pong, like, one-on-one, and every per- each person is making, like, every shot they take. That's not really how beer pong works. That's not how beer pong... Like, it's... it's Beer pong is my yeah. favorite drinking game. N- number one reason why is because of all the different rules you get to yell about. Yeah. it's Everyone plays it slightly... Di- it's Calvin Ball. But anyway, it's kind of funny. They're in, like, a pool, and all the, the witches have, like, bikinis on, and so they, like, magically put a bikini on her, and she's deemed to be pretty and sexy in some ways, but I was like, can we hear more about this bikini? It is apparently look <laughs> like cookie monster fur. I don't know. Then the witches give her something to help her. I can't remember why they had to go. They go to the morgue. The victim's heart is missing. Now, where was all the blood on the victim that a carving into a chest would make? Magic. It, it was a dagger was used. Mm, and so, nope, oh, there's a spiral tattoo on the victim's neck. That's what necromancers do when they kill somebody. Except a necromancer didn't kill somebody. I'll get to it. And then he cut the heart out of it. There's no gigantic blood stain on the... Everyone is facing... They're concentrating on the face smash. Whatever. But then they, like, assault several police officers, which is Praxis, but they do it with uh, freezing potions and escape, but they had disguise potions. That's why they had to go to the Witch's Guild, because they had... Okay. They had to get the freezing potions. No, that comes from a fairy. They had to get the disguise potions, which come from witches. Her and Mac. So on the way out of the party, by the way, is our second example of how this is just a Teflon book. I liked Mac. I really liked having her help. Oh, sorry. Wrong emphasis. I really liked having her help through this magical new world. But there was no fooling myself. I was alone in this. I had always been alone and I always would be. I shook away the negative thoughts. They were total bull and stepped onto one of the narrow streets that led back to her place. What was the point? Why did you have a a, a crisis of personal, like, personality and character? Something that would show us I'm growing, I'm beginning to rely on other people, I can trust them, they can trust me. Nope. Just, I'm alone. No, I'm not. Like, this is an example of how things just sort of Going to engage in some potential introspection and then shut it down. No, I'm going to engage in introspection and solve it immediately. 
So anyway, they bring the news back to the Devil of Dark Vale. Uh-oh, it's a vampire, and now we have to go to the Sorcerer's Guild who's going to tell us exactly who did it by shining a moonbeam on them and giving me a compass or whatever. So they take the compass into a pub, and it's just some guy. Remember from Midnight Sins when the the, the villain the was... The villain in... was Lowry Barry. Yeah, and introduced at the very end like there were no clues. I just don't understand why you think that would make a good book. I'm going to set this entire thing up as a mystery, but there's no way for the reader to solve it because the person who did it, they don't know anything about until they find out that he's the one who did it. And it's so dumb. I can't solve it. How is my DJ supposed to revolve it? Uh, So it's some just dude. He doesn't know anything about magic. He was hired by a guy to kill somebody and take their heart and it's money. This man's name is never mentioned. So he's a hired gun. So like, okay, you know, we got somebody to do his dirty work for him. We've been introduced to like a couple sorcerers, a couple witches. There's people in the bar, including a shifter bartender who's like this big flirt that it's set up like it's going to be a love triangle between him, Caro, and the vampire. It never happens. And so you're like, okay, which one of the people are like secretly the necromancer that hired this nobody? We continue on. There's like this magical ritual that's going to happen in a church and it's going to be in a graveyard. And oh my God, necromantic rituals that they need the heart for. And so then the security team and a couple people from the bar are going to this magical ritual. And then it's happening and they beat up some people. And wouldn't you just, it's like they beat up uh, to get these robes. And so it's the devil and Caro go into, not the actual devil's nicknames, the devil, Vlad go to beat up these people and it's specifically mentioned it was a man and a woman who are roughly our size oh how convenient <laughs> so is the person oh, no, who I'm hired not, the guy i'm getting there also i'm getting there okay, okay okay so we've got all these people we're seeing people come to this magical ritual and we haven't met them before but they are named by the characters it's like oh i know this person from guild city why is this magical ritual happening it's dark magic murder and then the necromancer comes out with another a kidnapping victim, not even a murder victim, but she needs to be the sacrifice with like the two hearts and then something bad will happen. And then there's a fight uh, that is done entirely in the background. And all our main character does is reach out through pain of like fire and grab a stone that was about to fall onto the victim and do <clears throat> something. And then they they go to fight the necromancer uh the vampire does but he got goo on him which is bleeding away his energy necromancer goo and okay. he goes to kill the or he's trying to get answers out of the necromancer and the necromancer basically pops an arsenic pill and turns to ash he was nobody two people not two only the people? murderer but also the guy that hired him yeah or no one yeah and the other guy confessed uh, through like vampire thrall this guy is a bunch of ashes uh, but we've got all these party, ge- like all these ritual guests that we can kind of get the story from. Yeah. The book and th- never addresses that. There's absolutely nothing that comes out of this except she's got this real powerful stone. She's going to move like she's forgiven by the police. And it's like, yeah, but you broke out of police custody. Now, that should not be a crime because the human instinct to be free should not be against the law. But. In, in South Korea, it's not. Uh, 
that's a crime in real London. And so you're going to have to actually like serve some time for yeah. breaking out of the police station and a window and they're going to blame whatever. But now she's going to move into Guild City and she's going to start a business and she gets to live right next to Mac and the two other people we've met live in the same building. How, How convenient nice. in all of London. They yeah. all happen to live and right so by each other. What's she going to do for money? Uh, solve mysteries of some kind. Makes sense. Be a real good magic private investigator. Yeah. This was very frustrating. There's just nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to it. That's There's, a rough one. At least it was a quick read. Like, it wasn't one of those ones that made me throw the book in anger. It's just like, what are you even, what are we even doing here? It, yeah. You know how, no, I'm not going to say that. I was thinking about, remember when you, like, playing that game where every person says one word and tries to make a story, but mm-hmm. you're concentrating so hard on the one word, you actually lose track of what the story is because that's not yeah. actually the point. It's kind of like that, but edited to, to actually, like, technically speaking, have a beginning, middle, and end, but without any forethought or, or payoff. That's a bummer. Yeah. Better oh, luck oh, next oh. time. Well, not really, but Lindsay Hall uh, shouted out, I hope you liked this book. My second one is coming out. First book's called Once Bitten. So the second one is Twice Shy? No! It's just something else. Oh, and uh, since the vampire was dying, he bit the lady on the neck and she was all into it. But because vampire bites are like always told to be orgasmic or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he has to stop or also like, you know, eat her. Like drain her. Uh, like Kurt Cobain said. But then he can see colors better and smell things better and he's coming back to love. <gasps> oh no. Why are you going to name the first title of or the title of your first book the first line in a saying and an aphorism yeah and then not name the second book the second part yeah it's like one for the money here here we go number two one for the money two that's so that's so dumb (laughs) yeah anyway anyway tell me about uh defenestration dispocalypse 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 what about dapocalypse so this book, um, when I started it and I read the first line of the prologue, I was so nervous because the first line of the prologue, so the first, the very beginning of this book, Ramai smiled at the class of two dozen younglings, none of them, none of whom had yet grown their first whisker. Okay, children, who can tell me how long our people have been in air? Haven. And I was concerned about that, but... Was this Jedi school? Younglings? <laughs> so that... That actually... That's interesting that you say that. Overall, I actually really enjoyed reading this No! Book. There's a lot of really good stuff. I don't know that I'm gonna go seek out this sequel, but I also would not be upset about reading the sequel to this because mm-hmm. there was a lot of really good world building. Some of the characters were really convincing, especially the main character. There were some really good things in it. But this book, and I think this is fairly common with dystopian YA trilogies, it tries a little too hard in the beginning to be something that already exists. <laughs> so it's simultaneously... Like yeah. It simultaneously tries to be 
there's a little bit of Star Wars. It's not set in space, but there are some things like the younglings in Jedi school that feel a little Star Wars. Um, there's a there's an academy that feels very Harry Potter. There is a um, like I never read these books, but I know enough about them. The Divergent trilogy, which apparently like they each had to. Like, they were each sorted into, like, a class of people, and, and that theme is in this one. So there's a little bit of Divergent, a little bit of Hunger Games, a little bit of Game well, of Thrones. If there's Divergent, there's Hunger Games. A little bit of Lord of the Rings. Like, it, it very clearly pulls from already existing, super successful sci-fi and fantasy books. I was a little bit nervous when I got you this, because the, the summary of it had a lot in it. But even the cover art, I was like, this seems, although kind of tacky, more professional than yeah. we're used to. And so I was I was running a risk here, and it looked like it did not pay off for me. It paid off very well for me. I'm oh, and don't glad. Worry, I'm going to have a lot to talk about. So I continue to be concerned on page three of the prologue when they talk about the prophecy. There's title a case. lot of title case. Yeah. Nice. Um, the prophecy is, on the day the acacia once again glows... Know that a seed imbued with the creator's power has been unearthed and all the prophecies of the tree may soon be fulfilled. So that left me a little nervous about what on earth am I getting into. The The prologue was a very Game of Thronesy, um, where it was trying to do this like very ethereal, um, there's some like political intrigue, trying to do a lot of world building. And then the book, calms the F down a lot when you actually get into chapter one, which was a huge relief for me. That prophecy made it sound like the philosopher was barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> so basically the premise of this story, this is set about 500 years in the future. The Great War happened about 500 years ago, which was nuclear war oh. um, between oh, the Germans and Russians on one side. And the U.S. and the rest of Western Europe on the other side. So this is Cold War YA fantasy? Kind of, yeah. So the above world has been poisoned because ah, of nuclear fallout. Um, and the humans, almost all of them have turned into wildlings. So basically it's humans that have undergone like radiation poisoning and have turned into these kind of human-like creatures, but they're evil. Oh, um, no underground there's a whole civilization that has flourished it so it used to be humans but over the the centuries since the great war they've become morlocks they've become dwarfs they've shrunk in stature they live below ground they in all have really long years. beards yeah um wow, they've shrunk to about four feet in in stature um the leader of the the people in the in the down below place is called Lord Tan. So he's a, a person, I guess. Uh, not if he lives underground, he's not Tan. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, so that's kind of like setting the stage there is we know that there's this civilization that lives underground. We know that the, the wildlings are in sort of the northern part of the above ground. There's also the southern part of the above ground is where there's still some humans living in what's called the Dominion. Um, which is led by the Vandenplas family. They're like the 
he's the president of the Dominion. Uh, and uh, like the Enclave from Fallout. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you what book this is reminding me of? Yeah. I don't remember the name of it, but there was a book that had to do with like a nuclear war Fallout stuff, but that's when angels and demons came around. Oh, yep. And then there, it was like always cold, like they're in a nuclear winter and yep. they had to go kill a no, it was, it was like a literal dragon from a Bi- the Bible, and there were little literal angels from the Bible, where it was like a ball with a bunch of eyes on it, yeah. which was actually kind of cool that that was the... Anyway, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, there are no angels and demons, but the north is in like nuclear winter. It's always cold there. There's a lot of radiation. The Dominion is in the south. Um, and our main character who we meet once the book actually starts is Willow, who is about 16 years old. She's about to start her final year at the Academy title case. In the Dominion or the North? In the Dominion. So she's she's in the in the South, which is where all of the, like, people are that aren't right. wildlings. What about the dwarves? They're all underground. And the Dominion does not know about the existence of the underground people. Ah, uh, did we, the reader, already find out about the existence of the underground people? Or? Yes, we found out about them in the prologue. That sounds like bad storytelling. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of. Is this in South, South Southern America? Or? Yes. Ah. Mm-hmm. So wow, that, that's got some uh, weird Dominion. T- dominions. Yeah, it's got some weird connotations. Our main character, Willow, we meet Willow in the beginning. She's with her brothers and her father. Her brothers and her dad are bow makers. um, And they are attacked by wildlings. Um, She is on... Yvette? What? Isn't that the name of the wildling in Game of Thrones? The redhead? Oh. Yvette. Is she a wildling? The redhead? Yeah. Yeah. Jon Snow? Oh, it's been a a while. Um, she's unconscious for three days, and during that time that she's unconscious, she dreams of this whole other life that it, it's like her and her family, but they're in a whole different world. It's before the Great War. A place called Beverly Hills. So she dreams that she's a, a part of a farm family in Kansas, and she's, uh, like, the same age as she is now. She goes to, like, taekwondo competitions. And Watches TikToks. is getting ready to graduate high school, and then... She, like, that version of her is around at the beginning of the Great War when all the bombs go off. And so she gets to kind of experience what was it like before the war and also when the war occurred. So, like, Fallout 4. So she gets, there's a lot of confusion for Willow when she wakes up of, like, what is, what was my real life? What was this thing that I dreamed or had a vision of? What Mm. was this weird dream that I had. Like when you have a dream when you're in college that you forgot to drop a class and now it's finals Mm -hmm. and when you wake up you're like did I actually have a class? Except a whole different family a whole different civilization civilization and a taekwondo competition. So she played Roy from Rick and Morty. Sure. So when she wakes up she also learns that her father has died in the wildling attack. So she is now an orphan. Her mom had died earlier. It's just her and her brother's um, are her brothers also named after trees? No, their names are like John and Brad. Very normal names. Um, <laughs> after the bombs fell, we made a do a civilization. <laughs> My son, Brad. <laughs> then Willow gets ready to go back to school. Um, the This description of her school sounds like every YA novel ever. 
But Willow sometimes wondered how much of the Academy's teachings was fact-based and how much was an attempt to indoctrinate the students into supporting the government. If their intent was indoctrination, it had failed in Willow's case. She had seen this government abuse its citizens and exile those who voiced dissent. Which is like, that that makes it pretty obvious what, what kind of book this is going to be. Listen, if your social studies teacher didn't tell you to always question authority, then he was a fascist. And that's just the long and short of it. It's just the way it is. Um, hey, no, it's not. <laughs> Nothing is just the way it is. Um, Things will always one, be the same. One really weird thing about this is instead of being a story, like it is a story about Willow being the chosen one who's going to save the world, but it's also a story about how Willow gets hot. Like it's an extended makeover <laughs> story. So well, most YA novels are, right? Yeah, I suppose. So Willow in her, I suppose, current post-apocalyptic life is a little heavier set. She's in the merchant class, and so her labor isn't super physical. Um, but in the, the dream vision life in Kansas, uh, her family were farmers, and so she was, like, super fit. She did taekwondo. She was a really good fighter. You and I don't know a lot of the same farmers, if you think farmers are super fit. Well, They're I, strong as hell. I'm not saying that I think that, but that's what was portrayed in the book. I see. And she was, like, this big taekwondo champion and was super fit and super skinny and super active and, like, a, a talented athlete and would, like, go for runs all the time. And so she has all these memories so she's like, I liked the way that I felt in this dream version of me. I want to feel like that now. So she starts running. She convinces one of her teachers to let her take an advanced combat class. Turns out because she had this dream where Ugh. she knew Taekwondo, she actually knows Taekwondo in real life. That's why She I, knows all the moves. She just has to get her body in shape to do them. That's why I'm able to pull back on my car's steering wheel and then it flies. Mm -hmm. And why all my teeth fall out all the time. Yeah. Exactly, because everything that happens in your dreams can totally happen in real life. What's your reoccurring, like, not nightmare, but, mm -hmm. like, bad dream? Um, I have dreams a lot about getting stuck in places. Really? You think I would, because small yeah. spaces are my bad thing. No, not necessarily, like, stuck in small spaces, but, like, I can't get my car to go. Uh, or, like, that's I need to move, but I can't move. That's funny because my a lot of times the brakes go out or I'm on ice. Anytime, almost anytime I drive huh. in a dream, I can't stop. You also have a lot of being late dreams. Oh yeah, not as much when I'm not actually working for the past uh, fifteen weeks. Yeah. But, uh, lots of out of control dreams. Weird. Weird. Um, Willow continues having a lot of these dreams slash visions. Uh, in one of them, she remembers in a dream that the governor killed or the government killed her aunt and then when she wakes up she immediately is like that checks out and decides to kill the governor and start a revolution <laughs> teens am i right um well i mean given what we've seen in the news it is mostly teens yeah they're gonna Good save us all nah. um so she gets skinny, she gets really fit, she's a really good, good. fighter. Now she <laughs> she winds up befriending a guy named Tristan, who is the illegitimate son of the governor. That Oops. becomes important Awkward. later. Um, Tristan takes her home over spring break, and while she is at home with him, she dream walks again. She that's what she starts calling it. These visions sort of intensify, and it reaches a point where she actually kind of has control over herself in her dream state. So she can, like, just basically dissociate while she's dreaming and, like, 
walk around and listen in on conversations and go wherever mm. she wants to go. So while she's at home with Tristan... I usually Tristan, just fly when that happens. Yeah, you pull the steering wheel back. You fly away. Yeah, and then have sex. <laughs> um, Tristan takes her home. She's dreamwalking while in his house. And she overhears the governor reveal that he had Tristan's mother killed. So Tristan's well, dad had his mother, who he had an affair yes. with, murdered. Was it her aunt and their cousins? How did you know that? Is it really? Yeah, it actually is. Gross. Yeah, now they can't is. bone. Um, and I'm sure they still will. So when she gets back like to the school... Roosevelt's. Hold up, I'll get there. When she gets like back to Roosevelt? school, she tells her roommate and best friend Mel about this. Mel basically immediately turns Willow into the authorities that she's been eavesdropping Fucking on the governor's narc. private conversations, and Willow gets exiled. When you get exiled, they throw you into, like, they call it the forbidding, but basically it's, like, the edge of the radiation the zone. The forbidden zone. Um, most people can't survive there for very long, but Willow is special. She winds up at this special lake. She bathes in the special lake. And transforms. So she has heightened senses. She can talk to animals. The radiation doesn't affect her. And she's blonde now. Oh, so she is skinny. She's blonde. Yeah. Uh, she's even post-apocalyptic society has deemed her worth. Yes, exactly. A um, couple other things that I'll, I'll share about what happens after she becomes fancy Willow, I suppose. Um this is one thing that I found interesting. She stumbles into what was basically a, um, like a bomb shelter during the Great War. And so yep. she's looking at all of this, like what are now historical artifacts. Pre-war tech. She continued along the corridor, occasionally spying other oh, painted no. messages. I see what is coming. One of them read, we will not waver. We will not tire. We will not falter and we will not fail. Peace and freedom will prevail. George W. Bush. The name rang a bell. Possibly an ancient philosopher or seer? If so, he wasn't a very good one. With the Great War, the rise of the Dominion, and the practical enslavement of all that remained of humanity, Willow was pretty sure that things hadn't worked out quite the way that that man had hoped. Well, at least it seems critical of George W. Bush. I was really worried <laughs> it was... Damn it! What? Once again, we have run into my least remembered word. What's that? The quote that comes at the beginning, epigraph? No, Epi that's on a yeah. that's a tombstone. No, no, that's an epitaph, uh, or as you used to call them, an epitopa. An epitopa, an epigraph. I mm -hmm. thought that was like a this is the thing I'm naming or basing this chapter off of. So she in this bomb shelter meets a wildling who's actually a good wildling. He's not evil. His name is Raz. Does uh, he say you know nothing? Willow. <laughs> he is not a redhead. Sorry. Um, he brings her Damn to. It. The underworld city of the dwarves, where she meets the wizard Elber, Elder Ramai, who is the guy from the very beginning. So there's magic. Yes, there's... Well, so he he tries to explain what he is, and he was like, well, a, like, sufficiently advanced technology can be considered magic, but it's never Thanks, revealed Thor. what his technology is, so I think there is a little bit of magic. Um, he explains to Willow that based on what has been happening with her, he thinks she is the child of a, of the prophecy. So we, we get to hear more about the prophecy. There will come a time when the child of man will be sacrificed at the altar of the apocalypse and she will be reborn. 
which was what happened when she came out of the lake. Into this poison world will step forth the first of a new people. Once again, an elven dreamwalker will walk the earth. So, skinny blonde lady, she have blue eyes? Probably. No, she's Korean, so brown eyes. Okay. Well, I was really worried about this whole uh, master race, new people thing. She's Korean. That helps a little, I think. Well, Korean people aren't the master race either, but that's weird. No, but it makes it better than her being blonde, blue-eyed. Yeah. Yeah. Connotations. Uh, Once again, an elven dreamwalker will walk the earth, only she will be able to complete the pact and see the creation of an Asherah completed. A second hope to a world that has fallen from grace. So... Ramai basically says that what she has become after getting out of the lake is an elf. Um, well, so she was already into bow making. She was. Or fitting, or, oh, thank and God. And she's going to go live in the woods. Thank God I've got wood bow making, tall, skinny, blonde people. We would hate to disappoint an expectation of elves from the Tolkien mean. I mean, I did tell you that this is pulling from a lot of different existing properties. Um she is basically relearning a lot of her history. Um, she learns that the original governor, whose name was Vanden Plas, who his descendants are still ruling, he wasn't the savior of humanity. He was one of the primary causes of the Great War. So she's relearning Dick a lot Cheney? of her history. Um, she goes back. <laughs> hey, Dick Cheney looks like my dad. <laughs> Did you ever realize that? Yes. It's funny. Um, okay, I talk. think about that every time I think about Dick Cheney. Um, Willow decides... <laughs> really? Because I think war criminal. But Tom I mean, Johnson, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That's cool, too. That's the only thing they have in common. Um, Willow that they're decides... war criminals? No. That they're... No. Um, Willow goes Ball back to man. rescue her brothers, Brad and John. Um, and finds that the governor is massacring New Memphis. Her brothers have died. Uh, Tristan and Willow, because he just shows up there at some point, they save about 50 people and bring them back to the lake where she got saved. Um, They all go into the lake. They come out as elves also, and they're going to live in the woods outside of the underground tunnel where the dwarves live. Uh, Then Tristan dies, and a tree magically grows from his grave. Uh, Willow learns from a vision that she and Tristan are cousins. You totally called it. His mom and her aunt were the same people, and she was also a dreamwalker. Were they ever uh, physically attracted to each other? No. Oh, she actually like made too awkward. She like emphasized that a lot because people kept trying to ship them, and she was like, "Nope, don't don't feel that way about him." There's Um, just something in it that prevents first cousins from ever being attracted to each other. Turns out that Raz the wildling is their grandfather. Uh, so that's neat. Is he pitched as old? Yeah. Oh. With a name like Raz, I assumed he had a, a mohawk. The tree, which grows super fast from Tristan's grave, cures the forest of its radiation poisoning and kills all of the evil wildlings. Wow, it should be easy. Almost then. all of the evil wildlings. Um, we end with a bunch of visions. So Willow has some more visions. Um, the surviving evil wildlings form an army in New York City. New York City. And there's a lot of imagery of the Statue of Liberty, which pulls from that one very famous shot from Planet of the Apes. Nice. Um, Then she also has a vision of the governor sacrificing his eldest son to summon the spirit of his ancestor, the original Vandenplas, who took over during the Great War. Did a shitty job of it, apparently. Yeah. So, 
It was, like, in terms of bibliophile books, this is a pretty good one. The plot stayed on track. The characters weren't developed. <laughs> oh, all right. Second um, book of Midnight Sins. And the world building was pretty good. There was a little bit too much pulling directly from other things. Like, I get that there's going to be a lot of influences from super popular, super famous sci-fi and fantasy. Like, yeah, you want to sell. Yeah. And, and also, like, a lot of these things have just sort of become very common. Like, we were talking about the way that vampires are basically all written to be the same. Yeah. There's some stuff that's just become super common, but, like, this was a little extreme. But overall, it was pretty good. I did not mind reading it. I fi- finished it in, like, two days. It was a pretty quick read. I think it's going to wind up being better than the one I'm reading next, which oh, I'm a little good nervous segue. about. What you are reading next as fireworks continue to go off on July 7th. Scaring my dog is urban magic magic of course has a k a guide for the city witch by diana rachel now we've read a lot of urban fantasy books both books i think could pass for urban fantasy this week so i think it's time you finally study up and learn how to do some urban fantasy of your own uh the description of this book from the library is uncover the magic hidden between the sidewalk cracks engage with the urban landscape around you and harness its boundless possibilities for a thriving magical practice with a k urban magic shows you how to connect with your city's diverse spiritual ecosystem and channel the powerful energy running through it so i hope that you harness all of that underage drinking all of that uh, good time party vibes that Iowa City puts yeah. out. All of that small town racism that coalesces here and makes some magic out of it. The, uh, I suppose, tagline for this book in the in the top corner is a guide for the city witch. I'm going to be a city witch. Nice. I mean, one of the less common witches, but one of the more modern, I suppose. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have to read The Barefoot Princess, which comes from the Lost Princesses series and is, of course... Book number two. <laughs> Christina Dodd wrote it. I'm going to let Susan read the uh, description. Once upon a time in a kingdom high in the Pyrenees, three young princesses were forced to flee the chaos in their land, vanishing without a trace and lost to their people until the day a courageous prince can bring each princess home. Life in exile has taught the passionate princess Amy to hate injustice, and on the enchanting English Isle of Summerman, she finds injustice personified in the powerful and wickedly handsome German Edmondson, Marquess <laughs> of Northcliffe. That sounds like you're eating a bunch of marshmallows. German Edmondson. Oh my god, it's German Edmondson. Oh no. Since he has stolen the islander's livelihood, Amy decides to steal him. She kidnaps the arrogant nobleman, chains him with his own manacles, and holds him for ransom. I'm expecting BDS. Yeah, I bet they bone. One thing that make, made me second guess this a little bit is the pull quote from the. Shoot. The pull you. quote at the top is from an author who's quite good. Kristen Hanna uh, has written several books that are like very well. Like critically acclaimed, including one called The Nightingale, which is quite excellent. Um, and then read a bo- wrote a book called The Great Alone, which I didn't love, but I know a lot of people who have enjoyed it. So interesting. We'll, we'll see. She's got a bare back, and it looks like <laughs> it looks like she's disrobing. So at least there's gonna be boning in this yeah. book. Yeah, I also saved some uh some books for next time oh, don't worry so did i 
Um, we've got some extra time here as we're we're counting down. Susan, have you been reading any good books? We are reading for book club. We are reading Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora, Zora Neale Hurston, um, which I have read before, but I'm very much enjoying reading again. Um, I just finished a series that my mother-in-law loves very much. Why would uh, you that? Poldark, and they were not my favorite, but I did read all 12 of them, so I finished that. Um, what else am I reading these days? What are you reading, Mick, while I think about what else I'm reading these days? I wrapped up uh, Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is a very, very good, relatively hard sci-fi. I'm not, like, one who's super into such a thing, but Red Mars really caught me. I read it first in middle school and promptly missed all of its points. Uh, And so I picked it up again where I had left off uh, probably about eight years ago. And then rereading it, liked it a lot more. So it's a, it's a trilogy. I'll be starting on Green Mars here pretty soon. Uh, and yeah, now I have to read another damn rich white people have sex bone style novel. It'll be great. Could it be worse? You could be reading Urban Magic. That's true. Um, I've got a uh, nonfiction book coming from the library about the revolutions of 1848. Uh, speaking of praxis, so it should should be a good time. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for holding on. I'm sorry this episode was a little late. Uh, stuff happened. Moods weren't there. So we did the, the soonest we could. Uh, we will be back next, not next Tuesday, but the normal release schedule after this. Alrighty. Uh, the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. If you are not listening to this on Spotify, you can do that now. It's wicked good because iTunes can suck balls and butts. It's awful. I've completely dropped it from my everything. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dickie Ma. That's D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And I'm at Susan J. That's S with three U's. S-A-N-J. Podcast has its own account at Bibliovile, which used to be an alternate account for me, but then I changed it. So anyway, uh, we love all of you equally. Stop lighting off fireworks. It's like wearing a Halloween costume in November, you floozy. <laughs>